Hello, welcome ventures to the 29th episode of the Travel Log, podcast in which I, Stephen Hoffer, my pronouns are he, him, and Lily Lavin, she, her, will be diving into the world of Faerun from the Dungeons and Dragons tabletop role-playing game. We'll go area by area, town by town, to provide a background of canonical lore, as well as suggestions on what type of encounters you can run in an area, or what type of characters you can create whose backgrounds are based in an area. This week we're covering the free cities of the Dragon Coast. Lily, what's your feelings on cults in D&D? Oh, they're staple, classic. They're staple? Yeah, like you have to have them? I don't know if you have to have them, but they're, uh, I don't know, they're never out of place. That's fair, that's fair. Do you like it when it's God-based, or do you like it when it's like powerful person based like what's your favorite i mean they're all good Mm -hmm. i feel like in the world of D&D, at least um like i suppose this would depend if you're using your own homebrew world but our podcast is centered on Farron. i think in Farron and broader D&D, it's a little difficult to uh justify just charismatic guy cult right because like i mean why i'm sure they exist but the thing is is that like I don't know, gods and demons and arch demon princes and arch devils and stuff exist. Like any charismatic leader cult guy is going to have that kind of backing. Yeah, or pretend to have that backing. Yeah, and that's the thing. That's what I like about, I also like cults because, I mean, you need evil people, cult, bam. Yeah, true. You know, you need evil faceless people, cult, cool, done. Now we've got a humanoid quest where we're not fighting anything but humanoids. And we have a reason for their strength. There's in Mordekainen's Tome of Foes, it has... Um, boons for cultists of um, the archdevils and the um, demon princes. Ooh. So like, oh, that's really cool. Um, what are they? Some of them are really funky. There's one where it's like all cult members of Orcus. I don't know if it's Orcus. It might be another one. Okay. They're able to take their allies' HP and give it to themselves. Ooh, that's very cool. So they can, yeah, they can stab their ally in the back to heal themselves and that's so flavorful and like it really says so much about the cult too because it means that the cult are you know they're not super cohesive or they don't care about each other yeah if they're if if they have that ability it implies they're ready to backstab each other on the drop of a hat Mm -hmm. which is just really interesting to me and it's also cool and so if you're gonna run a cult and you have mordekainen's or you're gonna run a cult and you have money to buy a book Mordekainen's has that those features and it's they're really cool that's really cool didn't know about that also i like cults because it's very easy to justify them being just hilariously inept right and also like yeah it's they're people or they're humanoids but they're indoctrinated so there's really not much they're like maybe there's one or two you can like talk down or talk to and get them to not fight you but for the most part you're gonna it's gonna be a fight yeah if you don't want moral if you want your players to kill humans without or humanoids Mm -hmm. without the possible moral gray area of killing humanoids that comes up sometimes you know you kill a bandit and then you find a note from his daughter in his back pocket um it doesn't really come up with cults it might because the, the cult of asmodeus is a bit different because it's super far reaching and a lot of them are important noble houses and asmodeus is a god so that one i feel is a bit different has a bit more room for moral ambiguity but for the most part if you want faceless humanoids a cult is perfect and it's very easy to make them uh caricatures where um they're actually pretty inept at what they're doing the only reason they're good is because zariel is backing them or something Mm-hmm. yeah yeah i also like the idea that with a cult um like you can have it both ways and it makes sense you can either have this super imposing actual powerful force that are a force to be reckoned with with the cult of asmodeus or the cult of the dragon or even like a cult of you know grats you can also have you know just some guy who stumbled into mm-hmm. you know power from levistus 
and he started a cult based around it, and they've become the cult of Levistus. But in actuality, he's just like, he's not a warlock, he's a cult leader, but he's actually just like, you know, because of this power he's gained, and because of maybe his natural charisma, they've become a cult, and they've become a problem, but in actuality, they're all idiots. <laughs> well, that's it too. You could have someone who just like gained a magic item and through their own sense of either maliciousness or um, madness decided that this was from a god or from something and then that's made it like there's there's magical powers in this world that yeah if someone gets the right magic item they're like oh yeah no i am obviously chosen by something follow me exactly so i like that about cults they can uh they're very uh malleable they can be whatever you want and i really like that yeah perfect the dragon's coast Named after the Dragomir Inlet of the Sea of Fallen Stars, is a land of independence funded by trade and merchant traffic to Cormir, Om, and the Altrigard. The city-states of this area have fallen countless times to would-be empires, but are often broken up by Cormir and to the north and Om in the south. The cities never stay destroyed for long, however, as the area's importance to trade is too rich to ever truly die. The area was diverse with many immigrating from areas all around the Sea of Fallen Stars, looking for success in business or running from past failures. Pretty cool. You got a nice, uh, nice diverse section of the world. Exactly. It's a good kind of like, I know in America, it's like the gate is like, you know, in New York or something like that back in the 30s where everyone like kind of lands in this area. It's like if you're coming from the east, if you're coming from the south, Anna, anywhere along the, yeah. the Sea of Fallen Stars. And you're trying to make it to like, say the Sword Coast is kind of like this new land. Oh, there's a lot of free land and you a lot of good farmland here. You're ending up, if you don't go too much farther, if you don't go too much deeper, then you're ending up on the Dragon Coast. And it's not controlled by any one empire. It's all free cities. Yeah. So it's a lot more freedom there than you might get in like Ultraguard. The idea of free cities is cool. And I think there's a reason the Sword Coast leans so heavily on it. Mm-hmm. They, uh, without the broad overarching government, like you just said, you have that freedom there. Also, there's the uh, fact that each city can be much more unique, yeah. I feel, in a city-state place because they all have, well, yeah, okay, every city in Om has its own flavor and its own imports and exports and everything. Um, with city-states, there needs to be no cultural connection at all. Exactly. It can be completely different. Yeah. Just outside of Westgate is the Seven Lost Gods, a set of seven hills west of the city, each topped with a Minhir ring, were consecrated in a time when temples were prohibited in Westgate and remained even after the edict was reversed. Enterprising nobles and merchants often hire adventurers to explore the unopened subterranean temples that supposedly underlie most of the hills. The most memorable of the Munhir topped hills is the unsettling Hill of Fangs, with its crimson plinths sworn to Moanda. The others honor Gargos, Garhadro, Jurgol, Savras, Sylvanas, and a long forgotten deity. Local sage Yakhovas speculates that this is Apinsur, Jahamadith, god of mental magic, but this has not been proven one way or another. Yeah, so at least the first few are dead gods. Yeah, dead completely. Sabras, Sylvanas, and Jurgle are still around, mm-hmm. but I think they all died and were brought back for 5e. Right, um, right, right. Because Jurgle was killed at one point, but he's back in a limited capacity. Yeah. Um, he is now underneath Kelimbor when he used to be above Kelimbor. Mm. So they're all dead gods that, like Moander, looking it up now, hasn't been around since 2nd edition. Yeah, yeah, these are all like dead dead gods it's cool i like this idea you know sometimes people like that ancient forgotten world or that forgotten god so this is a really cool way to like bring in the dead gods if you are playing a 
I don't know, some campaign that focuses around a singular dead god or just like you want to touch on that kind of greater lore, the idea of like gods can die, uh, give examples with all these ones who are like yeah. almost forgotten at the point. It's also just really cool. It can be a site because of that. It can be a site of um, forgotten magic. Mm. If you want to have like a hidden kind of magical MacGuffin somewhere, whether that be a magic item or maybe like a homebrew spell mm. that um yeah. your players need to find or something that I thought was cool, a cool idea if you have a long form campaign is that if you have a spellcaster when they hit ninth level they get one spell mm, mm, and mm. other ninth level spells they have to actually try to find right this helps world building to explain why every arch wizard doesn't have wish right you know or every arch wizard doesn't just have true poly why don't you know true polymorph bro when you level up you get free spells mm-hmm. this explains like they're they're difficult to learn and find but also uh i don't know it's just cool i like you know lost it's, it's a cool concept lost dead gods cool place where maybe you find like the best of one of these dead gods who's like yeah you know it's like a it's like a flicker of their existence they're not actually there but you're able to commune with them slightly yeah kind of like a shadow yeah i'm, of them. I'm gonna put a little pin on that but i think like playing one of those new subclasses that really like plays on the undead where you like talk to the undead or i think there's a rogue one and a bard and a warlock and have it be like not the dead god but as you said like the shadow of the dead god or the last sliver of it and that lives in you yeah that would be a really cool that would be that would be really cool um yeah the spirits bard the phantom rogue and the undead warlock undead war. um, there's also there's also the undying warlock but that one sucks don't play it yeah. also just because i looked it up because i wasn't sure anyone who's listening and isn't sure uh men here is just a standing stone uh okay that makes sense it is um they seem to be quite large mm-hmm. standing stones like so ring of standing stones okay that makes sense it's a large man-made upright stone so they're man-made standing stones. Yeah, yeah. Well, that'd be cool if they're like kind of carved into a close visage of whatever they thought the god looked like or something like that. Like, you know, I'm not saying like have actual like nose and mouth and stuff, but like have like the shoulders and the head. And yeah, they could be cool. We're like worn down. We're uh, encroaching into obelisk territory there, though. True, 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 true. But uh, yeah. So Westgate, which we covered last week, is a part of the Dragon's Coast, and there are other communities more east than west gaze that we haven't covered so we're gonna quickly cover them because they're small cool. and then we'll go back west so the city of star mantle was another trade port and a lesser rival to westgate however less successful due to its further point from the western trade roads it still saw success in trade throughout its history it was destroyed in the spell plague the few who survived say that a wave of blue fire erupted from a portal boiling outwards until this entire city was engulfed when the chaos subsided, it was all different. A gyre of light and confusion hangs above the ruins like a low-hanging storm cloud. Within are strange green crystal spires humming atonal melodies, deep pits harboring suspicious blue glows, and slowly moving masses of obsidian. Treasures might lie sealed beneath the landscape in vaults of long-dead merchant lords. Yo, what a fantastic place to go and send your party to find a dungeon. Yep. Yeah. That's so cool. I love that. It would also be a really good place to be from. Mm-hmm. You could be you could be spell scarred. Oh. Um, yeah. which I think we've mentioned it before, but if anyone listening has the time to look up, spell scarred people are people who survived getting hit by the spell plague. 
Like they survived getting hit by that uh, the blue, blue fire. fire, and they look very, very cool. Yeah, yeah, that could like great way to have like a sorcerer say you got like magic from this like touch with the the chaotic entity, the weave. I don't even know why that should be a sorcerer subclass. Anyways, and yeah, ha- like it's have this cool ruin of the spell plague because the spell plague is over. So maybe some of these effects have moved on, but like I, they would still be the gyre of light. There'd still be the weird gr- crystal spires. Like there'd still be like the physical entities, you know? So you, there's just like, it would be almost like Pompeii or somewhere yeah. where like you would see maybe people frozen in this like stone statue or like crystal statue of them when they were hit or yeah that'd be really cool yeah that'd be really cool yeah sweet place to go sweet place to be from yeah right along the water uh right north of the Guthmere forest and cedar spoke amory and telpir were fledgling trade stops for trade going to cedar spoke or to the dwarves of the mountains nearby though with lesser population of the two areas they never reached the heights of westgate they also were too small to hold off the pirates of the isles nearby from raiding them cute you could have a little you could have a little uh pirate defending fight here or you could be pirates and attack it yeah very true and this is also a good spot to say you are starting in termish like we did with the podcast it's right north of termish so you could just like make your way from termish to this to the end get to the the wider world right. faster yeah that's cool so now that they've been brought up pirates i think the dragon mirror which is the there's the dragon mirror and then there's the sea of stars right and the dragon mirror yeah yeah sea of stars is is the dragon so the sea of stars is a, the large inner sea the huge area in the middle yeah and dragon's mirror is like an inlet from it it's like it goes yeah, it yeah. goes in and it's like an inner sea like or not inner sea but like a little inlet yeah um you you yeah. said little there but it's quite big yeah it's little compared to the sea of fallen stars but it's still huge mm-hmm. it's still like an ocean bigger than the black sea in our world but not indian ocean sized but it's quite big yeah. but all i was going to say is that i think now that they've been brought up pirates i think this would be a better place to run a pirate campaign than the sword coast mm. while the sword coast mm. has the moonshay isles and the sword coast has the uh, nilanthar isles and there's a lot of pirate stuff going on there i think being in the inner sea if a listener was planning a pirate campaign being surrounded by land that way mm-hmm. is i think really inducive to a fun campaign you yeah. have a lot of cities you can go to there's a lot of uh, lore in every city there's a lot of stopovers there's a lot of there's also a place called the pirate isles it has a long history of piracy I just think it has more going on in it than the Sword Coast. Yeah, 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 very true. And it's definitely big enough to maintain an entire pirate campaign in it. The Dragon Mirror plus the Sea of Fallen Stars. You start levels one to five in the Dragon Mirror and then open up to the big Sea of Fallen Stars. Well, and I think that's that's a two. If you're if you are the pirates, I think you would probably start off with these free cities of the Dragon Coast yeah. because they would have lesser defenses, and then like slowly work your way towards your Selgons and your Chisenta. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Your Selgons, your Chisentas, and your finally Cormier, who has like an insane navy, because they're like you just pick the eager easier targets more and more, and then get to the, the more and more uh, <laughs> worrisome and like yeah. bigger pots. And then the Sea of Fallen Stars opens up to huge places to go. I think, yeah, exactly. I think this would be a better spot to run a pirate campaign, personally. I think they both have merits, and you could weigh them, mm. the positive and negative of running them in both. But I just think this one has a lot of possibilities around it, being in an inland sea. It would be really cool to have a campaign where you're pirates and you had like your own pirate cove, yeah. which was like the, you know, your head quarters and where you were building up because like pirate coves are always so cool and it'd be like really fun to make your own like how do you defend it how do you hide it when you're too small to yeah, defend exactly. it exactly yeah 
yeah, yeah. Be very cool. Especially, well, it can work in the same way. So once you hit a certain level, one of the rewards that the DMG says is a good idea to reward your players instead of gold is a stronghold. Right, yeah, yeah, right. So once your players hit around level 10, they get their stronghold, in quotes, which is their pirate cove. Yeah. You know, yeah. very cool. Very cool. And then they start building up a fleet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. The second they can, like, hire people to stay on at the cove or have a second boat, that'd be so, so great. Yeah. Rittenseer was a small town of about 608 on the road leading to Starmantle. Rittenseer is known as an information clearinghouse for adventurers. One might think that the town's fair-sized temple to Ogma, the Halls of the Binder, would be responsible for this reputation, but the truth is that Ogma's priests are more tight-lipped than usual. Apparently, they resent ongoing free information exchange that takes place at the Giant's Folly, a fest hall located inside an overturned boat that was hauled inland by a fire giant who wanted to win a bet. Love the giant's folly. It sounds amazing. Also, um, uh, I love the idea that he did it to win a bet. Also, Ogma, the Halls of the Binder, is now, in my canon, just filled with uh, trans men and trans boys. Um, and then and then uh, the trans, the information that they give and take are um, trans women giving their closeted experience to the trans boys and the trans men giving their closeted experience to the trans women. <laughs> Perfect. The halls of the binder. Of the binder. <laughs> it's great. It's fantastic. They give out free binders to anyone who wants one. That's, yeah, I love that. <laughs> and Agma, Agma is about information, right? Yeah. So this temple specializes in information on how to be trans. That's the <laughs> official D&D canon now, guys. That's the hall of the binder in Rensir. I love it. Uh, yeah, the whole area around here, uh, the trade road called the Grand Ride, it's filled with like the farmsteads that feed Westgate and um, right. kind of like the farmlands. So it's pretty rural. But yeah, I love this overturned boat that's like very inland. That's just like, yeah, that's the fest hall now. Yeah, yeah, I love that. <laughs> the coast between Renesir and Westgate is known as the Skeleton Shore. The most notable feature of Skeleton Shore were the cliffs of Carthoth, atop of which sat the Carthoth Lighthouse. This seemingly innocuous tower was the domain of Eroth, a wearer of purple for the cult of the dragon, and the lair of the green wormling Eldrisseneth. The wearers of purple are like stationed officers essentially from what i remember yeah so we're going to talk about the cult of the dragon because they come up a lot in this area so i'm going to just get everyone a background so they can understand what we're talking about started in 902 dr by a powerful archmage and ex-chosen amistra who learned to create draco liches that he can keep under his control the cult's main activities today include serving as an intelligent gathering and communications network for the evil dragons of faerun and the cult Dracoliches, or Sacred Ones, as they are commonly referred to in the cult. There are a number of Dracoliches controlled by the cult is unknown. Estimates range up to two dozen. Cult members regularly visit the lairs of evil dragons, praise them highly, and tell them the destiny Semester, first speaker, proclaimed for them. Rulership over all of Toria. Cult members contribute large amounts of treasure to these dragon hordes, offering any assistance at their disposal, healing potions and spells, and exchange of spells and other magical knowledge, to enlarge or otherwise expand the dragon's lairs. And magical traps the lairs, and gently work to persuade the dragons to actively cooperate with the cult. Cult members also make all necessary preparations for those dragons who consent to become Dracoliches. Yeah, um, the first campaigns, Horde of the Dragon Queen and Rise of Tiamat, I thought Horde of the Dragon Queen was pretty bad. We started a campaign with it and then very quickly just stopped playing it and went into homebrew. I have heard that if you can get through it, the ending is quite good, and then Rise of Tiamat is quite good. 
I have heard that from people online. But the Cult of the Dragon are the main antagonists in that one. Um, and I think they're quite cool. They have a long history. If They come up quite often in a lot of nooks and crannies of the world. I also think that in... The DMG and stuff, when they mention factions that your player could be from, and like the Sword Coast Adventures Guide faction background, I really wish they had put the Cult of the Dragon as an option. Yeah, yeah, why not? It's like it's an active group that has cells, and like, I, yeah, they have evil intentions, but like, I think it's. I don't, so do the Zentarum. Yeah, so the Zentarum, and like these ones here, they're like building up, uh, you know, wealth and stuff for evil dragons, but they don't. It seems like in Horde the Dragon Queen and Rise of Tiamat, they're like doing world ending stuff. But in here, they're just kind of getting power to powerful things so they can control more, which is the same as the Zentarum, which is the same as a lot of. Yeah. Uh, it's, not, it's not like they're like, oh, I want everyone dead. They just want more power, which is a relatable well, and easy enough cult like group to join up with. They do kind of want everyone dead. I mean, their ultimate goal is to bring Tiamat back. But that that's not this no that not this cell. That that's what I'm saying. This cell doesn't care about that because they have different ideas of what they want. They don't want Tiamat. Right. Um. I don't think. Yeah. Uh. Because I was under the impression that all of this is just like because like I don't know. Often people go, eh, I'm in an evil organization. That means I'm evil and I want everyone dead. Even if you want everyone dead, that doesn't mean you have to be a chaotic yeah. evil murder hobo. Like the Cult of the Dragon are. are are smart no that's true is the thing and so like yeah. regardless if they want the end of the world or not that doesn't mean you go like one person going around shanking everyone they see isn't gonna bring apart the end of the world you need to amass a network but the thing is, is they're called the cult yeah. of the dragon but they act much more like a faction which is why i wish i wish they were talked about more in the right true guides true. the dmg and the sword coast adventures guide and stuff as a possible faction for you to be part of because i think that's really cool it'd also be cool to like to have mechanics of like yeah you if you give money to say you have one dragon that you're kind of under or like you've been um kind of stationed to so if you bring magic items to them or add to their horde then it gives you like feat abilities or magic abilities like so trade in money for some sort of skills or abilities that the that the Draco Lich gives you or the dragon gives you. Yeah, that could be cool. I mean, then we're getting into something yeah. much more than just being a faction agent. No, true. The, true, true. There is a yeah. dragon patron in... That's more playing with a dragon yeah. patron, a la Tasha's. Right, 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 true. One of the group patron in Tasha's is a dragon, and there's stuff like that as rewards. Well, you know what I mean, right? Yeah, I think it'd be cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that would be exactly that. You play with a dragon patron. Yeah. A cult cell was formed near Dragonsmere. They infiltrated many of the independent docks using smuggling to fund their dark goals. From this they earned, most likely extorted and stole, enough wealth to approach a great black dragon named Cypress, who layered in the swamps nearby. While Cypress would not become a Dracolich for several decades, his rare psionic abilities allowed him to quickly and easily control the human leaders of the cult, finally killing them when they were of no more use to him. Cypress met his end when he came across the ruler of Elversalt, and now the faction has fallen to infighting for rulership. Yeah, checks out. Yeah, so, <laughs> like, hey, Dragon, join us. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, how about you all die, though? <laughs> yeah, that's the thing about the Cult of the Dragon is, like, their relationship to dragons is also so funky because it's, like, yeah. ultimately the dragons, I mean, the ones who turn into dracoliches under their control are idiots yeah. but like i find i feel a bunch of them would be a pretty tenuous relationship <laughs> yeah like a dragon like a dragon in their cobalt they're essentially just humanoid kobolds yep pretty much <laughs> or it's just like yeah you pay tribute to me so i like you but like the second you do anything wrong i am a freaking dragon it's also cool though i do like having them say if you ever were to enter a dragon's lair and didn't want kobolds or whatever have these cult oh yeah people there yeah oh yeah super cool 
the largest independent city on the banks of Dragonsmere, Tazir is Westgate's rival in merchant trade. It is a sprawling, unwalled city situated on a high bluff overlooking the Lake of Dragons. Previous cities on this site have been attacked, sacked, and burned more than a few times throughout history. One version of the city was a sprawling temple to Denir that was destroyed in 264 DR. Built on the ruins of the previous city of Tazir, this city was founded in 1312 DR by a group of merchants who disapproved of Westgate's wickedness and wanted a port on the Dragonsmere they could control themselves. The Council of Merchants continues its rules, maintaining power mostly because its members reward competent employees and terminate business relationships with those who fail them. Tazir subsidized construction of temples and shrines to non-evil Faerunian deities, believing that pilgrims' ties and occasional divine miracles are good for business. Consequently, the city has more than its share of temples to minor shrines, and clerics of nearly any of the divine powers can be found somewhere here. Tazir is also plagued by a thieves' guild known as the Storians, which has as many as 700 members and have been infiltrated by the Night Masks of Westgate. Tazir has never officially been at war, and so its merchants feel little affection towards mercenaries. However, the rising activity of the Astorians, combined with increased pirate raids along the coast, have caused the council to reconsider this position and taken on a few adventuring companies to handle its dirty work. Most of the advice the council receives on who to hire comes from the young Siradin, chief wizard of Sazir, whose chief virtue is that he is the son of a councilman. In, uh... I like the idea of having this and Westgate kind of in quick succession or like you bounce between the two, you know, they're just like mirrors of each other. One is like the shithole, everything sucks. Unless you like this kind of life, then everything is great. And then the other one is like, everything's nice here and we're good and we follow the law and everything's nice. And it's like, this one's great. Unless you like the Westgate (laughs) style, you know? Like all the crew. Yeah, it's like the it's like the Applebee's and Outback Steakhouse for your yeah. evil characters and your good characters. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I would love having the two so you can kind of mirror each other with them. Also, I love that this cult is called the Astorians yeah. or this uh, thieves guild because you know the Astoria in Vancouver. Yeah, I can't. Astoria, Vancouver. I can't <laughs> Yeah, I can't not picture them as just like a bunch of people that would go to the Astoria. So like a bunch of like, uh, you know, like hipster, hipster thieves guild people or like, <laughs> depending on the time, like some uh, gutter punk thieves guild people. I just love that idea. Of they're all wearing the, uh, you know, little beanie on their head and they've all got the funny little mustache and they're just like, ugh, I can't believe you would rob that person. That was so like last week. And they also like, come on, the historians are all the ones who thought that Westgate was a bit too rough and tumble, a bit too chaotic. So they're like, hey, we we value hardworking thieves around here. Yeah. <laughs> we don't want any layabouts. Oh my God, you go to Westgate? They hardly even have any laws there. What's the point of being a thief if there's not even any laws for you to break? I can't believe you would go somewhere so blasé. doesn't even take any skill to rob it. Exactly. To steal and thieve in Westgate. Here, we actually value actual thievery skills. It's called expertise. <laughs> If you knew, you would know. <laughs> Apparently, according to Ed Greenwood, I read this so many places, he wrote a whole article for like Dragon Magazine on Tazir, like deep diving into it. And then Dragon Magazine stopped publishing under Paizo right at the time. So he says like it was under NDA or they owned it, but now he has it back. So I was trying to bother him to get it, but he said he doesn't know where they are and like they packed away somewhere in his house. Hmm. But I found a map online. Oh, damn. That isn't from any of the source books that is of Tazir. And I don't know if it's like one of his that got out because it looks kind of like the style of Dragon Magazine or if it was just a fan made one. Right. Yeah, I hope I hope with the bugging I can get this information out there. 
uh, check our Twitter. I'll post about it if we do. But yeah, it's it, it's got a bit like it's got this lore I just told you, but it seems a lot bigger of a place uh, that doesn't have as much lore as it probably should. Yeah, I mean, it sounds here like it rivals Westgate, right? Yeah, exactly. Like it is quite a large spot. In the 14 th- uh, 1400s, Tazir became a protectorate of Cormier during the war with Netheril and is a key port for its navy's defense of the Dragonsmere. In 4E, the Avalis city of Zifu appeared over the Sea of Fallen Stars from Abir. This caused the danger of Avalis and Krakens in the sea. Westgate protected its status for its harbor districts against the monstrous servitors of the Abilith sovereignty, but Tazir's ships are not so blessed. As a result, a thriving business for freelance kraken hunters exists in the city. Anyone interested in safeguarding the ship lane or cargo can hire a group of doughty spear-wielding individuals from any of a number of agencies on the waterfront. Kraken hunters boast such colorful names such as Ablis Slayers or Yikai's Kraken Exterminators, but know the odds of being attacked by an unfettered kraken en route across the Sea of Fallen Stars is quite low. Most collect their fees without having to work for it. At least one Kraken hunter could be legitimate, though. Cesara Keenspear, a female Genasi, wields a rune-inscribed and glowing spear 30 feet long. That's too long. That's too long. <laughs> That's too long. She doesn't She doesn't wield this spear. That's not possible. <laughs> such a long spear. That's ridiculous. I mean, I guess it could be magic. She just, like, pokes them in the... She pokes them in the sky, like, eh, 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 eh. Yeah. Eh. <laughs> Yeah, I think this is cool. More, I love that these guys are just incompetent. Very funny. Yeah. But also the Kraken Abolus cool fodder for your pirate campaign you run here. Yeah, this this city, I'll cover, like one day we'll cover the whole Sea of Fallen Stars and we'll co- probably cover it then. Yeah. But it's a floating obelisk. That's super cool. Just kind of floats above like black obelisk and it doesn't look like it's a city, but apparently it is, but it's Abolus made. So no one really understands it. It's pretty cool. Very cool. Pros and Illipur were small ports serving as loading and unloading points for Elversal. Neither town compares with the true ports of Westgate and Tazir, since shipments need to be loaded onto flat barges and pulled out to waiting ships or onto shore. Each town has its own council of burghers and mayor. You can't smell the fish for the graft, grumbles the merchants of Everslot, who have no choice but to pay the burghers what they want. The alternative is to let their cargoes fall completely into the hands of thieve guilds, such as the Purple Masks and the Tide Flowers, or bandit slavers, such as the Men of the Basilisk. As a small towns built around the transition of cargo, many smugglers and spies have agents around here such as the night masks and harpers pretty cool nice little flavor yeah it's like a place like where they transfer from like big boats to to the smaller barges so yeah i could see this like it's not a place where like it's happening and stuff like that but i could see a lot of like yeah shifty individuals along here yeah i will say if you're running um a even vaguely serious campaign Mm. unless you want to inject some humor into it never use the term burger no i know it's a real term <laughs> but like we were playing curse of strahd and like we had just finished death house so we were re- really feeling the curse of strahd grind here we all almost died in death house everything was destitute everything sucked we were really feeling the uh the weight of despair that curse of strahd imparts upon you and then we met the first burgermeister and we all <laughs> lost our shit and we were like the burgermeister was he really good at grilling and it was like it was it was much needed humor in curse of strahd but you yeah. could tell that the dm really wished we were a bit more serious about yeah, this can you stop yeah because he was also supposed to be a person in power but he right. immediately lost all respect because his name was the Burgermaster. The Burgermaster, yeah it's true and it's like it's actually like the berkermeister yeah. but like 
you know, yeah. don't use that name unless you want that. Or your players are German or wherever right. it comes from, right, sure. and they're able to not find it funny. <laughs> I mean, Burgermaster. In this little place, the Burgermaster is kind of funny. Yeah. You're going to pay us with burgers then. <laughs> the men of the Basilisk are apparently like an evil venturing group, but like they're bandit slavers. I think it'd be fun to play them up because like, yeah, they're obviously like evil, evil, but play them up as like the very stereotypical, like if all like murder hobos, if all your players were evil, like chaotic evil or like neutral evil and yeah. like have your party go against them to just see how annoying it is. <laughs> yeah. I also find their name to be really funny that I feel like I wouldn't be able to resist playing them as just like four evil Conan the Barbarians. <laughs> Man of the Baskets. <laughs> Very true. Rich Merchant City, located where the Overmoor over Trail meets the Trades Road south of the Lake of Dragons. Helversal is the least dragon coastish city of the Dragon Coast. It is a common place for shipments heading for Cormier to be separated from those heading west to the Sword Coast. From Helversal, such packages are routed either along the High Road north to the High Homes or to the lake port of Ilper and Pro. The city is situated in a pleasant, lightly wooded area surrounded by small lakes and kettles. Many small groups of trees of the original woods still remain, since Everslot has always been under the control of strong rulers, and even the most corrupt and evil have valued the woods. The center of town is dominated by a tall, bare hill called Temple Hill, since it is where the temples of Lathander and Joaquin have been built. Alverslat has long had a reputation as a hive of smuggling activity and intrigue, a reputation which the present ruling lady, Yan Seldara, is trying to shed, aided by her partner, Vare Rana Hawklin, and the elite guards known as the Maces, with a varying degree of success. Sounds like a fun little city. I, uh, yeah, it sounds like a fun little place. You could add something uh, maybe a bit uh, mystical going on in these forests. Have a little have a little forest quest going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just real quick want to say too, it's not partner and crime partner. It is the uh, Yan Seldara and Varana are canonically lesbians. That's cool. Yeah, like from early, like 3E or 2E. I like that. I think you could... Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, nice representation there. I think um, with the uh, forest idea, if you're running the pirate campaign again, nice little break. Yeah, and also I like this. Yeah, she's also... Um, yeah, Yan Seldara is um, former adventurer, so definitely would play off this, like, leader who used to be an adventurer, have this, like, real kind of love for adventurers and, like, right. you know court them when they come into town right i like that yen saldara took command after leading a popular rebellion that overthrew an older more oppressive regime of necromancers while open brawls in the street are no longer common the illegal activities in the town now take place underground under magical protection and under the cover of darkness the cult of the dragon in particular has refused to relinquish the city as one of its staging points for operations to the south Harpers and other adventurers frequently become entangled in thwarting the cult's assassination schemes, drug running, and poison manufacturing, all of which are means towards their true goal of seeing Faerun ruled by undead dragons. Pretty cool. Pretty cool, yeah. Uh, yeah, you could have some Cult of the Dragon stuff going on here. If one of your players is a Harper, you can send them there. Mm -hmm. um, quite cool. I also think, as you mentioned, her being a former adventurer, this shouldn't come up, mm -hmm. but it might come up. It usually only comes up if your players are dingbats, but if anyone ever goes... Why are you sending me on this quest, powerful ruler that has people under them? Send one of those people. Do it yourself. Which, sometimes even the best of players fall prey to the, why is Elminster getting us to do this when Elminster can just snap his fingers and do it himself? 
her response, if you don't want to, if you really want them to do it and you don't want the classic response of, fine, I'll get someone else, leave, <laughs> which is a valid response to that question. Yep. Um, but a good response that you can pull out maybe once in a campaign, twice maybe, because this is canon with other leaders that they used to be adventurers. Her response can be, I used to be an adventurer and I like giving adventurers jobs. Yeah, yeah. I, I have a soft spot for adventurers. I could send the captain of my guard, but I would rather send adventurers because I know the life and I like it. Yeah, yeah, totally. That works great. I think too, though, like I would play it up. Uh, Yen Seldara kind of like, if you open up the question or open up the talking as if she could come with, she like wants to do it, but then like either remembers herself or her partner is like, no, <laughs> you are the leader of a city. Yeah. You can't go going into like an underground cavern. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. She's like, I'm living vicariously through you. Clearly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> it's like, I would do it. Oh, I would do it. But no, I have yeah. to deal with these merchants who are fighting about like a lost shipment. <laughs> yeah. Love it. Yeah. Oversalt is the site of a schism of the Lathander Church. The Brotherhood of the Glorious Sun has long existed within the Church of Lathander, tolerated by other followers of the Morning Lord, and preaching that Lathander is reincarnated form of Amater, Nethri's god of the sun. Heretics of the Risen Sun take the Brotherhood's beliefs one step further into heresy by preaching that the time of Lathander's transformation is nigh, and Amater is about to return. A monitor. A monitor, sorry, a monitor. Uh, the leaders of the Brotherhood of the Glorious Sun, Sun Lord Delgoth Orendir, has embraced the Risen Sun heresy and now seeks to make it Orthodox sect of the Church of Morning Lord. Towards that end, Delgoth has conceived the idea of an eternal sun shining down upon the land. The Sun Lord is convinced that such a display would convince the majority of the faithful in the Church of Lathander that the time of the Morning Lord's transformation into a monitor is nigh as well as bringing many new converts to be to the reborn church of Amonshar, in effect by creating the belief that this transformation is imminent. Delgoth hopes to participate the actual transformation. The only child of Morning Lord Halathar Orndir, High Priestess of the Tower of Morn in Eversalt, Delgoth is a rare fire genasi, one of several in his maternal lineage's recorded history, who can trace back his heritage to the Netherage clergy of Amonitor. So this guy's actually very cool looking for a priest of Lathander. It has like fire red glowing arms and like has dark hair. He looks very like cool. scary for a priest of Lathander. I like that. I also, I understand that like, of course the sun god is important. It's the sun, especially if we go back in time. The sun is light. The sun is mm. life. But I always find sun gods to be so funny. Like, of course, from Dark Souls, praise the sun became a meme. But like, the brotherhood of the glorious sun. Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The sun is glorious. Everyone knows it is. Shut up. It's like saying, you know, the grass, the sky is blue or something. Yeah, you know? yeah true. Um, it's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Pick a less obvious thing to worship, guys. <laughs> the glorious sun. Oh, wow. Very daring today, are we? Um <laughs> But yeah, this is really cool. If you have someone in your party who is an Asimar or cleric or monk or follower of Lathander, um, this could be a really cool basis of like some intrigue for them, you know, have like a side quest involving the splitting of the church. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I personally think yeah, very true. that this guy is correct and the Monitor and Lathander are the same person. <laughs> could be, could be. Scrolling down a bit until we get into it more. I, I think they... Yeah. 
are. They're at least aspects of each other. They're both sun gods. Like, who cares? Yeah, I know. Most Netherese gods are just the same gods now unless they died. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it is actually the same person. But I like that it is so, like, heretical, heretical because it's like, yeah, they don't just people just don't want to talk about it at all. Yeah. Like the uh, the the wikis at least list them as aspects of each other. Yeah. So I, I think they're the same person. But I think I just think it's really funny that these like lawful good dude bro church um, has this like big bickering over a name. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's great. Delgas youth was spent in the company of Lethandrite priests drawn to his mother's ambition of transforming the Tower of the Morn into the dominant temple of the Dragon Coast region. After joining the clergy of Lathander at a young age, Dalegoth led a small companies of Morninglord followers to recover sacred relics of the church from sacred sites of ages past. The recovered relics were used to expand his mother's power base among the ranks of the Morninglord's church, broadening the strength and number of her flock. Over the course of several expeditions, the fire genasi began to deduce a strong correlation between the age of the holy site and the number of intermingled legacies of the Church of Almonter. This, in turn, led him to the non-traditional but non-heretical conclusion that Lathander was Almonter reborn and drew him to the Brotherhood of the Glorious Sun. Following his mother's death in the year of the Tankard, 1370 DR, Dalgoth inherited her position as Archbishop of the Dragon Coast and High Priest of the Temple of Morn. Long welcome to the Temple of the Morn, Brothers of the Glorious Sun soon assumed most of the leadership positions within the Church of Lathander in the region. Over a past year, Delgoth has gradually strayed beyond the bounds of tolerable descent that the Church of Lathander allows, the Brotherhood of the Glorious Sun, and he risks dragging the entire order of Sun Masters into embracing the Risen Sun heresy. There is now quite quiet talk among the senior prelates of the faith that Delgoth must be excommunicated, although they fear doing so could rupture the church. Delgoth successfully casted a spell, Amunder's eternal son, to create a second son in Eversalt. Word quickly spread across Faerun, and would-be converts began showing up to the doors of the Morning Lord's temples, seeking to convert to the church of Amunder. Wow, Eversalt and uh, Elversalt and uh, Elturel, same hat. Same hat, literally. Yeah, same hat. Yeah, I know. When I when I when I read this, I was like, "Oh, this is really weird that this has the Eternal Sun." But this was written before 4E when they put the the companion up in Eltra like Eltrel. So I don't know why. Same hat. Same hat. Yeah, I don't know why they're like, "Yeah, this place also though." It's like, but you never you 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 said you were in 3E. You were like, "Hey, let's make an inter- uh, second son." And then in 4E, you're like, yeah, let's not write about that. Who cares? Let's make a new one. It's like, but you had one. Why didn't you just use that one? It's like, nah, 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 nah. <laughs> why not? Yeah. Why not have a second second son? His, his though, is different than the second son of, of Altrell. It's actually a spell, and there's, like, spell casting uh, instructions in the Powers of Faerun book. And what it does is it overlays the original sun so that the sun is always up oh that's cool so as long as you can see the 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 sun the sun is always up that's cool yeah uh, yeah i think this would be a really cool i think this would be a really cool quest in if you had someone connected to the church of lathander i think this would be painfully boring if you don't but mm-hmm. if you do you can also just take this lore and i guess switch it to any god you want but mm-hmm. i think it'd be really cool you know the church the main church of lathander sends you guys 
over your party over to deal with, you know, the dissenting Lord Dale Goth, you know, and uh, you have to go because they think, you know, um, yeah. we don't want worldwide shame by marching an army over to him. Enough people already know about this dissent and this rift in the one of the most important clergies in the world. And so we're sending you to maybe be a bit more quiet about it. You know, six, four to six people is much less noticeable than, uh, you know, a 2000 army of Lathander. And you go there and like the party gets a choice. Maybe Dale Goth has some uh, good explanations for his descent and the party joins Dale Goth. Yeah, well, that's what I think, too, is even if you don't have a priest, I know you said it would be boring, but I think you could do if you're on the roads near here, say even like in El Trail, you see like a caravan of people with sun like vestiges on and you're asking them where they're going and they're like oh well we're going to praise the like to wait await the coming of amat amater and like we're coming to like praise the true god of sun and you're like what the heck are you talking about and if you ask around in the caravan or you travel with a caravan one person will come to you at nighttime and say like i'm part of the lathander church that's against this and you are outsiders we will hire you to deal with this situation you know yeah that'd be pretty cool the only reason i say it'd be boring is that this quest sounds very long yeah it does it's 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 war and dissent inside the biggest church in Mm fairun or one of the biggest churches so like this is going to be like a 10 session quest possibly longer if they go inside with dale goth and the thing is is that like if you have a completely like kind of deity neutral party yeah that's fine but the thing is is like i don't know if you have a perfectly good priest of saloon in your party why are you spending 10 <laughs> sessions on a lathander thing when you really should be writing a 10 session quest about saloon true i think it's just it, it's an interesting quest line in the fact that like there's nothing morally wrong with what he's doing like he he just believes that a god is like changing and people are following him so like yeah yeah you could just play it up as like yeah yeah these like differences of opinions but like do you actually go and kill or like quell this person's ideals just because it's like the established order hates it? Like it's a real question for your party to come up to. Yeah, exactly. That's why I'm saying I I said it was boring if you don't have a priest of Lathander, just because I think it's yeah. You should link stuff to your players, but um, sure. I also said and think that you're right. This it sounds like a fantastic quest, especially because of the idea that you get to Dale Goth and it turns out that he's like not evil. Yeah, um, he's just some guy who has some valid opinions, maybe. Um, and I think that can make a really fun quest. Yeah. Perfect. Also, the Joaquin Temple is fully controlled by the cult sect of the church that venerates Gratz after he imprisoned her in the time of troubles. Yeah, uh, we keep saying his. We keep pronouncing his name as kind of Gratz. And just to uh, yeah. dispel any confusion maybe that people are hearing, it's the demon prince Grazd, the G-R-A-Z-Z-T, but no, but it's pronounced Gratz. Grazd, oh, okay, Grazd. It's pronounced with the T before the Zs. It's really weird. I okay. looked up the pronunciation once because there's that hyphen there and stuff. And so just so everyone is aware, that's who we're talking about. It's yeah. The T is pronounced before the two Zs. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Which is weird. I don't know why they chose to do that, but... I thought, yeah, I do just love... I brought up cults because it's like, yeah, you just go to this place and the two temples, the two main temples is like, yes, we believe that the coming of the morning Lord and the yeah. other one's like, yeah, we were with Church of Joaquin and we think that Joaquin's actually dead and Graz is just pretending yeah. to be her. What's up? It's like, wait, wait, that. what? <laughs> I love that so much. I love the Joaquin Graz thing. It's so funny. It's so funny. Just south of Elversalt is the Ginger Palace, an embassy for the shoe empire and trade hub for the shoe spices. 
The Jinja Palace boasts magnificent architecture, such as marble pathways and plastered walls that held glass windows lined with silver. The structures feature vibrant decorations made by hands of highly skilled artisans like wood pillars with carvings of exotic beasts like basilisks, phoenix, furry-tailed imps, and the head of a dragon. Landmarks of the palace were vibrant and given extravagant names such as Path of Delight and Arch of the Many-Hued Scales, while buildings were given monikers related to spices such as Cinnamon House. The palace had a special guard to protect its sovereignty as a part of Shu Empire, Many not willing to cross them, even by the slightest. It's really cool. Yeah, yeah, cool little trade area. This just compounds on another reason why I think a pirate campaign in this side of the world would be really fun, because this side of the world is just so diverse. Like, the Sword Coast Mm -hmm, is diverse, mm -hmm. but it's diverse, like, with Kalimshan. That wasn't me throwing shade at Kalimshan's diversity. I'm just saying that this place has, like, (laughs) so much different culture in one place yeah you can really feel you go down the road and you're in a different entirely different area. yeah exactly it's super cool you can uh every time you make port it's a new aesthetic which can be really cool yep very cool pure pearl is a sleepy town along the trades road it is notable for three things it's tavern keeper it's abbasy ruler and the local mercenary company the barkeep is a former priest of bane known as zoe who runs a tavern named lord Cyrix bane He's always claimed to have tired of Zent politics, felt the call to change his ways, and reformed to an oddest citizen. Now that Bane has returned and Zoe still runs his bar, most folks in Pirapol fully believe in Zoe's reformation, though none are eager to cross him or try stealing from his establishment. And the absentee ruler, Tar Harar, is a descendant from bandits who aspires to true nobility. She spends most of her time in the court of Cormer. The Mind Gulf Mercenary Company, commanded by Lady Gayrelin Bloodsword, occupies a large keep in the south of the town. The Mind Gulfs are a unique company of monstrous humanoids, aberrations, and magical beasts, including Wemex, Centaurs, Dragonborn, Trikeen, Kenkus, Treants, and even a Beholder. It's pretty cool. Yep. <laughs> I like the monstrous monster hunters. <laughs> yeah, I like this tavern keeper. I don't like that um, Wemex is involved, but... Uh... Yeah, yeah. I I love that one of them is a beholder. (laughs) I also love the idea that it's like, we are a company and we all pull our weight. And then you look over at the beholder and you're like, yeah, I'm sure you all pull the same amount of weight. Kenku (laughs) compared to a beholder. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you all have equal uh, input to every successful thing you do. (laughs) (laughs) And the Trent, like the Trent, it's like, yeah, uh, we really need to get to this to this mission guy. It's like, oh, I'm making my way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's very funny. I like it seems so weird, and but it's been around since 2E, this mercenary company. So, like, it's established. They, uh, they, they've they been around for a while. Yeah, I like it a lot. <laughs> it's so funny. I like them. Eastine is a small town east of Iriabor, hence its name, and is typical of such small communities. Three things set apart from similar communities throughout Western heartlands. While other communities might have noticeable product, a significant non-human population, or famed inhabitants, they rarely have all three, like Easting does. Easting's small size and location make it a meeting spot for dwarven merchants working out of the hidden dwells of Far Hill. Their smithwork is above human average. Individuals wishing to contact such craftsmen or to contact dwarven communities usually start in Easting. Easting is the home of Rolfhaven the Sage, whose area of expertise lies in the study of plants and their uses, including herbs and poisons. 
Dragon Rise Keep, a fortified compound south of Easting, near the headwaters of the stream that becomes the southern feeder of the river Chonthar and is home of the herald Red Dragon. Red Dragon has traditionally been the office of the young heralds with ideas and plans for the future. This has led to an important diplomatic role in arranging marriages amongst the nobility. Red Dragon is also the cer- Red Dragon also has the ceremonial duty of escorting supplicants in rituals of attaining or receiving a title position of honor. That's cool. I think Easting sounds like a very fun little city to start a campaign in. Yeah, it sounds great for that. It sounds like a really nice little sleepy place that has a lot of diversity and uh, in- enough interesting stuff around it to, uh, you know, you do your initial quests here become a party before heading over to Eriabor and getting a taste of a bigger city yeah yeah and i think that like with this sage who's has all these like poisons and herbs and stuff great place to like get starting potions or like you know do some jobs for him or your friends with him and he gives you like a potion of invisibility or something which is really exciting when you're like level two level three yeah um and then yeah if you want to like get into some weird faction play if you really want you can go and join the heralds um which like they give they arrange marriages and they give titles so like this would be like the most like low danger way to get into like court intrigue yeah 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 nice little place to start a campaign my favorite part of today's episode is the beholder Mm -hmm. part of the mercenary company (laughs) because i it it shows up in lore sometimes um this isn't the only instance of a beholder just acting like a normal person and every time it comes up it is always my favorite i love when (laughs) beholders integrate into society it's so funny to me because like a mind flayer integrating yeah cool squid man yeah. but a beholder integrating into society is just hilarious yeah I just decided one day it's like no this looks kind of fun i want to do this like <laughs> i'm gonna be a normal thing especially because like they they dream stuff into existence by accident yeah. so like you could just like oh today on a all right we've had a long journey this is the first tavern we've seen in three weeks so we're going to take a rest here Arkadas the Beholder, are you feeling okay to sleep in a tavern? Why would you call me out specifically? Hard cut to, uh, you know, like a weird half Beholder, half dragon materializing in his room. Yeah. While he sleeps. <laughs> and they're like, this is, this is why we called it out. We can't stay anywhere if you're going to have nightmares. I would love it to, like, oh man, I just imagine walking up to a, a tavern on the road or in like Little Easting. And you see like a tree and kind of weirdly planted on the outside, but like, yeah, whatever. And you go inside and you see like a centaur at the bar and you're like, okay, funky, weird, but sure. And he goes back to a table where there's like obviously a Kenku and like, and trike and all that. And you're like, what? And then you turn and out of the bathroom comes a beholder. Yeah. <laughs> like, what? what is yeah, happening? I love it. I love it. He like constantly has to sleep under the effects of calm emotion. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just like they wake up and it's a nice dream. There's like, I don't know, flowers or like. <laughs> There's a, um, the a tree ant is sitting outside at the window. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, I love this place. Um, great if you want to be a monster race, say that you used to be part of that venture company or you grew up hearing about them and they're like your greatest heroes. You're like, yeah, one day I want to be part of uh, the Mongolf. Like, I, like I really like, that's my dream, you know. What are they? No other trikeen is that famous. What are they called? Oh, Mind Golf. I think um, what I would do 
if I were to play a character that involved the mind golf, is that um, yeah. you are just a human and you were denied entry into their mercenary company. <laughs> and so now you're trying to make prove them a fool and become the world's most famous mercenary. That's, that's great. Uh, uh, that's it. To be like, you could have had, you could have had the famous Ezra Blackmore, hero of the High Moors, defeater of Reznor the Red Dragon, slayer of Snillick the Frost Giant, savior of Waterdeep, breaker of chains in your group. But now you don't. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like I think that'd be. I think it's like yeah, but you still only have four limbs, so don't know <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and the beholder the beholder just looks at you and goes yeah well now all your magic items don't work because i'm looking at you <laughs> yeah you, you you come back triumphant and say all of this stuff in front of them in front of the ruler of the city in front of everyone else trying to make them a fool and one guy in the crowd just goes yeah but are you a floating ball with 10 eyes <laughs> yeah are you <laughs> And you're just like, God damn it. <laughs> no, I'm not. Also, I would love to play. I always think it's funny, like play like someone from Eversault who's just like obviously kind of grew up in a cult, but like maybe they didn't weren't part of either church, but you leave Eversault after growing up to 20 and you're like, oh, like people, Lathander Church. I, like you're like, you see a Lathander Church and you're like, praise be to Mater. And then you see like a Gratz, like a Joaquin person and you're like, oh, watch out. Those people are like, yeah devil worshippers and everyone's like what is wrong with you <laughs> you just have the wrong opinion of everything yeah like, what, you, what, what are you talking about you see a drake warden and you're like oh no the cult of the dragon yeah <laughs> i love it that's it for our journey today look to the sky for the second sun to mark the coming of a monitor a monitor a monitor fine a monitor next week we'll cover iriabor and burdusk Thank you, Lily, for joining me. Yeah. Thank you also for the amazing cover art. Yeah. And Blend Us for the theme music Around the Fire. You can find them on Bandcamp. Links in the description of the episode. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. And have a great long rest. Bye.